Ladies and gentlemen, this is killing the business worldwide. And this is your main event of the evening with the man in charge of this episode, your host and fearless leader, Vic Muscat. So SummerSlam is upon us. One of the big four pay-per-views that WWE has each year. Supposedly, now the whole crown jewel is coming into more and more into the scene. Who knows? But since 1988, August 98 to be be exact, SummerSlam has become one of the biggest, most anticipated events of the year. It gets as much hype and treatment as WrestleMania, and its wig is starting to take place in stadiums. Some of the biggest and best matches that WWE could put on offer are typically reserved for SummerSlam. I remember back in 88, I was moving from Harrisonburg, Virginia to Guilford, Vermont, and I was gonna miss the event. And I remember how upset I was because of that. It was the mega powers versus the mega bucks. Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan teaming up for the first time. It was gonna be awesome. I was 11. And it broke my heart. However, those were the glory days. Fast forward to 2022, we'll say 2000s. Not every SummerSlam is going to be a five-star epic event. Some of the underwhelming additions of SummerSlam have made them extremely unwatchable for fans to revisit. So today I am going to tell you some of the worst SummerSlams that I've seen over the years that really should be buried, burned. It's just, ugh, just gone, taken out of fucking our existence. Because the WWE sometimes, and they're becoming more and more like this, don't know what the fuck professional wrestling is. And it just breaks my heart when I hear SummerSlam. I'm like, dude, this is so such a beautiful pay-per-view. And now it's just trash. It's just garbage. One of the worst SummerSlams I've ever seen was SummerSlam 1996. Yes, I'm going that far back, 96. It was fondly remembered for Paul Bear betraying The Undertaker to side with mankind during their epic Buried Alive match. Owen Hart opened up proceedings by seeing off Savia Vega. His brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, wasn't so successful with his match with Psycho Sid and Goldust beat Mark Merrill. The highlight, though, to me, was Jerry the King Laura overcame Jake Roberts and the Smoking Guns retained the WWE Tag Team Championships. Shawn Michaels retained the WWE Championship in a hard-fought battle against Vega to close out this kind of crappy SummerSlam. Now, back then, it was very rare that WWE had a bad pay-per-view. So it wasn't, you know, on everyone's radar like it would be today. The Michaels-Vader match was extremely overhyped. The ending was very underwhelming. 
Jerry Lawler and Jake Snake Roberts. That was a joke match. And it's the Smoking Guns retaining the tag titles. That was pretty cool. That was also seeing a young Billy Gunn. That was also really cool. But honestly, that was one of the worst summer slams I've ever seen. And it followed by another piss poor summer slam, 2017, which took place in the Brooklyn Center in Brooklyn, New York for the third year in a row. There were some dreadful matches where include Big Cass defeating the Big Show, Randy Orton being Rusev, the unbeatable Rusev, in just 10 seconds. The SmackDown's Women's Championship was at stake for the first time at SummerSlam. Naomi dropped the gold to Natalia, which at that time, Naomi was it's on such a roll, it just made a lot of people like question why. Sasha Banks recaptured the Raw's Women's Championship from Alexa Bliss. This was like building up Sasha Banks' legacy of just playing the title as a hot potato, which you don't fucking do. You don't have someone to win a championship one month and the next month drop it and then regain it a couple weeks later. And they call themselves one of the greatest women's champions of all time. Other notable results include Ginger Mahal retaining the WWE Championship against Nakamura in an underwhelming WWE Championship match, and Brock Lesnar walking out as the Universal Champion. Nakamura, this is when I knew they got Will Nakamura. Nakamura was done because he was the king of strong style in Japan. And then all of a sudden, Loses to Ginger Mahal, who had no business being a champion anyways. The first SummerSlam that took place that was really unforgettable forgettable for me and forgivable was SummerSlam 1990. The Texas Tornado ended Mr. Perfect's Intercontinental Championship run, and the War Royal was a triumph over Tito Santana. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, was victorious over Dusty Rhodes in a quick fashion, which made no fucking sense, and Hulk Hogan earned a win over the earthquake. The best match of the night, however, and the saving grace that made this event, at least you can watch parts of it that was watchable, not the whole thing, because it's pretty unwatchable, was the Hearth Foundation defeating Demolition and two out of three falls for the WWE Tag Team Championships. And most importantly, the main event, the Ultimate Warrior beating Rick Rude in a steel cage match for the WWE Championship. The uh, Rude Warrior match was pretty, was pretty overhyped, I thought. But that was one of the saving point races. I would watch that match again. I would watch the Heart Foundation demolition again. The rest, though, I could care less for. And that's why it's in my list of worst summer songs. But not as bad as Summer Summer 89. The Brain Busters, the Heart Foundation, got to Summer Slam 989 off to a blistering start. Looked like it could be a really good card. Looked like it. Just you got the Heart Foundation, Legacy Derry Heart Foundation versus the Brain Busters. Arnie Anderson and Tolly Blanchard, to me, was always forever. 
not the brain buses, but the four horsemen. Horsemen versus the Hearth Foundation. That's a fucking great match. That's an awesome start. But no other match on the card managed to top it. The Rockers were in action, and they teamed up with Tito, with Tito Santana. I almost said Tito Ortiz. In a losing effort against Rick Martel and the Fabulous Rujos. And there was only one other championship match on the card that's supposed to be the biggest card of the summer. The Ultimate Warrior gave Rick Rude for the Intercontinental Championship. It was an average show, and Hulk Hogan and Bruce Beefcake beating the Macho Man Ray Savage and Deuce in the tag team match was the main event. That was kind of like, if you looked at that, that would have been okay for me, but you followed up with a no holds bar, the movie and the match, which that could have been the main event. You did not have to put that in that match in a match in an event that was supposed to be on the top fours. And at the time, on the top four wrestling pay-per-views of the time, of his time. Now, SummerSlam 88, like I mentioned before, when it all started, was awesome because of the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. And it was took place in Madison Square Garden. But there were some dreadful matches on the card, which included Rick Wu going toe-to-toe to Junkyard Dog, which was a match. And the Ultimate Warrior being the Honky Tonk Man in a matter of seconds to win the Intercontinental Championship for the first time back when the Honky Tonk Man was unbeatable for that title. But they made him look like a chump at SummerSlam. That was just such a shitty way to send off the Honky Tonk Man's Intercontinental Championship reign off to the sunset. It should have been a longer match, should have been a better match. Their rematches in Boston Garden at the time were a lot better than this match. It really felt like Becky Lynch and Bianca Blair. A waste of time and energy. And thank God there was a rematch the following year. Not like they're doing Becky and Bianca right now. Demolition retained the WWE Tag Team Championship against the Hart Foundation, thanks to Jimmy Hart. But does Mega Powers staying hard defeating the Mega Bucks that match alone? With Jesse the Body Ventura, which they do not mention anymore, was a special guest referee and was Elizabeth taking off her skirt. And back then it was, oh my God, a woman on wrestling showing skin like that. Holy shit. It wasn't much skin compared to what you see today. But at the time, it was just like, what the fuck? Wow. And really opened doors to wrestling down the future, I believe. Being risque, pushing the envelope. But back then, it was just a wow, you have to watch the match. You have to be there to see it. Another shitty SummerSlam. The ending of SummerSlam 2010 was received by many as Team WWE defeated the Nexus in the 707 elimination tag match. Two world championship matches were underwhelming as it came to retain the WWE champion, the world title back then, I'm sorry, the gold belt, the world championship, against Rey Mysterio and Randy Orton and Sheamus, WWE championship ending up in a disqualification finish at one of the biggest events of the year. I say that sucked, but fuck me, what do I know? Ziggler and Kofi Kingston Intercontinental Championship 
match went to a no contest, and Melina quenched the Divas Championship, quenched the Divas Championship from Alexa, Alicia Fox in her hometown fans in LA. It was a C minus D plus SummerSlam at best. SummerSlam 93, another shitty one, had the potential to be a brilliant SummerSlam, but it fell way short of expectations. Razor Ramon ended Ted DiBiase's in-ring career in a curtain razor match. If you don't know what a curtain razor match is, it was, it's pretty much the opening contest. Some people curtain, um, curtain razors, and some people call them, what's the other term that people call it? I can't think off the top of my head. It's, it'll probably dawn upon me as I go off the air. Bret Hart pulling double duty against Doink the Clown and Jerry the King R. That made it black ruptured. Why you have Bret Hart wrestle twice? Why you have Aang wrestle, wrestle, wrestle twice? Now this is a tournament style match. It's beyond me. The Undertaker was unfortunate to face the Giant Gazan in a rest in peace match. And the Shawn Michaels, Mr. Perfect was matched for the Intercom Championship was as boring as Yokozuna and Lex Luger's WWE Championship match. Made no sense at all. It was just a event that Back then was I believe was a fifty dollar pay per view. If I probably wouldn't pay five bucks for it now, I just won. SummerSlam two thousand seven, two former world champions made their triumph return to action in SummerSlam. It was one of those deals that they pumped so much hype on. Okay, Triple H returning from his injury that was overhyped. That was a great match. The lead up to it was amazing. That was probably one of the better SummerSlam matches I've seen in a long time. I'll give credit where credit's due. However, Rey Mysterio overcoming, overcoming Chavo Corral, as my daughter is knocking shit over right now, was very lackluster, very disappointing. The great colleague and Batista World Championship match stunk up the joint. This be honest here. That match just was just that match sucked. I'll be honest. It fucking sucked. And I guess some of the other highlights, if you want to call them highlights, Amanga successfully defended the Intercontinental Championship. Guess Carlito and Mr. Kennedy, John Morrison. Saw off CM Punk to retain the ECW championship, which I would never understand that because Punk was Punk was better than Morrison. Now Morrison, now if they wrestled today, that's a different story. But back then, Morrison was a tag team wrestler. He was known as a tag team wrestler. Yeah, okay, you're getting your feet wet with the single scene. I get that. However, though, giving you a world title, when you're getting your feet wet against someone that was one of the greatest Ring of Honor tag uh, heavyweight champions of all time. I just don't buy it. And uh, John Cena retained the uh, WWE Championship against Randy Orton, which back then was cool. But to be honest with you, these days, it's played out. And one of the worst SummerSlams 
the most recent SummerSlam 2021 wasn't well received by many wrestling fans at all. It just wasn't. It was just made no sense. It was in uh, the Raiders Stadium. I can't remember Raiders Stadium off the top of my head, but it was in Las Vegas. In stadium in front of over 50,000 fans that they claim, but WWE has been known to tweak the number some. So who knows really? But it features some underwhelming matches. Alexa Bliss and Eva Marie's match was shoot it, shoot it and burn it with fire. That's how bad it was. It had no right to be in SummerSlam. And whoever thought of that idea and put it on there, I hope their fucking ass got fired. McIntyre and Ginger Mahal's match was the battle of former WWE championships. The champions sucked. Lashley destroyed Goldberg in their WWE championship match. It was just... And the, the fucking... The worst of the worst. The god-awful of god-awful. Oh, what the fuck were you thinking? Becky Lynch made her shocking return to the WWE after her maternity leave and Bianca beat Bianca Blair, who they put so much energy behind. They put so much, you know, hype behind. I was, I'm not a fan of Bianca Blair. I probably will never be, but I respect the fact that she organically, from NXT to WWE, fought her way up for a championship just to lose the title in 26 seconds. That's, if you want to give Becky Lynch title back, give her the title back. But 26 seconds, it just destroys Bianca Blair's career. I can't look at Bianca Blair straight anymore without thinking you got your ass kicked by Becky Lynch 26 seconds. Her career's over. It's ruined. And I don't care if people say, well, she's a world champion right now. Yes, she is. But the whole, like, Bianca Blair... Raw champion compared to Bianca Blair, Raw champion with the asterisks and bullet points saying she did drop the title to Becky Lynch 26 seconds before. It just kills the legacy. It just makes Bianca Blair not unwatchable, but not as watchable with the magic and excitement behind it anymore. It's just Bianca Blair, who can drop the title at any time now in 26 seconds. Enjoy the show. The Usos retained the uh, SmackDown Championship, and Charlotte Farrell once again walked out as Wall's Women's Champion for no stupid apparent reason. Your script, your paper champion, Charlotte Flair, as you call, just like your paper champion, Roman Reigns. Defeated John Cena, which Cena came in there looking out of shape. He looked tired. I mean, he could, I mean, yeah, he had the six pack on and he did seem like he was out of wrestling shape. You can tell. They just pretty much took Roman Reigns and moved to roll over John Cena. And with all the stuff, things that Cena did for the WWE, I thought it was absolutely uncalled for making him look that bad. Lesnar returned after the show to confront Reigns to setting up their continuous feud for the Universal Championship. It was just bad. Last year, SummerSlam. And I you know what? 
I cringe thinking about SummerSlam this year. Roman Reigns, what was their last name? Stand, standing match for the undisputed WWE World Championship. This is their sixth or seventh main event of a pay-per-view, which is, like Jim Cornette said before, lazy writing. And no wonder it would not, it hasn't gone over 2 million hits and would never go over 2 million hits because of stupid decisions like them. Now, 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 Grant, I don't want this episode to be like SummerSlam sucks. SummerSlam did have some peaks. It did have some, you know, matches that were like pretty fucking good. For example, let's talk about SummerSlam 2019. Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. This is the SummerSlam that Lesnar was featured in the main event for the sixth year in a row. He defended the championship against Seth Rollins. Together, their chemistry hit a home run in an excellent championship match. Despite the sheer brute force of Lesnar, Seth Rollins hung in there and made it. Things very awkward as he defeated the undefeatable Brock Lesnar. They had chemistry together. And just Lesnar willing to drop the title of Rollins, give Rollins his push. The way they did it was absolutely beautiful. And that's probably one of the better SummerSlam matches I've seen. One of the shocking SummerSlam matches I've seen was. Lesnar, Cena, 2014. Rarely does John Cena get symptomatically destroyed in a lopsided match. This is John Cena's prime. But that's what happened to big match Cena in 2014. Cena's WWE Championship in the state was on the line, and the challenger was, was a familiar foe in the form of the red hot unbeatable Brock Lesnar. Lesnar took Cena literally to Suplex City after he executed 16 one six German Suplexes and Cena could barely Cena looked like he got hit by a bus. And it was just it just put Brock put Cena out of his misery by the jaw drop in devastating F5 to become the WWE champion first time in 10 years. A match that you cannot ignore the, when they were overseas, SummerSlam 92, Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog. This is Bret Hart versus the brother-in-law, British Bulldog, where they used to close out SummerSlam 92 for the Intercontinental Championship. Bulldog had home field advantage which at Wembley Stadium in London, in England, this was understandable. But in a venue that before Brett would got, may feel like it was Brett Hart's home field advantage, wasn't that case with the British Bulldog in this match. I thought it was crazy ending it with a with an Intercontinental Championship match. Back in the day, it was always the world title. But this was a remarkable WWE Championship match. The storytelling 
was absolutely five stars from both. Hart did carry the match. You can tell he did carry the match. So that's why he's not getting his five-star props. I understand that. But he did the job with the Bulldog Army, one of the biggest wins of his career when he dethroned Bret Hart to win his one and only Intercontinental Championship. That match, you cannot ignore to be one of the biggest ones. Another big one, Jeff Hardy versus CM Punk. We're going back in 2009. It says a lot when Jeff Hardy and CM Punk's TLC match for the World Heavyweight Championship, the gold belt, headline, a SummerSlam, instead of like a John Cena, Randy Orton championship match. But unquestionably, it was the right choice, one of the few right choices that WWE have ever made, as his personal feud was a barn burner for both men showcasing their best skills in this environment. CM Punk blossomed in this match. Jeff Hardy showed that not only he could not be, he could not, he could be a tag team specialist, but he can rock the singles scene as well. Both took a tremendous amount of punishment. They really kicked each other's ass. And one of one of the best spots in this match was Hardy's swan top bomb into Punk through the broadcasting table. That was just absolutely epic. However, though, Punk did recover from that and the pair battled at top of the ladder until the CM Punk got the upper hand, knocked off Hardy in the match, and captured his third world championship. At the end of the match, it spun off to the next challenger, which was The Undertaker for CM Punk. But it was the way they did was massively done. Punk standing over Hardy with the world championship. Lights went out. Here a couple of dongs. Then the lights went back on again. Instead of Hardy underneath The Undertaker, underneath CM Punk, it was The Undertaker who made a statement that day that he wanted Punk's championship and he would be the next one challenging Punk for that title. Let's talk about The Undertaker. 2008, Undertaker versus Edge. Now this rivalry reached a brutal end as they both battle inside Devil's Favorite Playground back in the days, not so much Devil's Favorite Playground now, but Hell in a Cell. No championships were on the line. It was the first time that Edge, the rated R superstar, had competed in Hell in a Cell. Of course, back then, weapons were involved. Edge speared the Undertaker through, the, through a panel of the cage with both of them crashing next to the broadcast table. Undertaker chokes him the Edge through a couple of tables and they sealed the deal that they devastating Tombstone Power Driver. Now, I was getting details for this episode. And I saw, you know, I used what the fans were saying. Devastating Tombstone Power Driver. It was a Tombstone Power Driver. It was. Devastating. Eh, I think fans seem to over-exaggerate a little bit. But it was a decent Tombstone Power Driver. And 
every the match itself, especially no one thought the pa- panel of the Hell in a Cell would like collapse like that. It was just like a oh shit through the fucking cage. Now they use it more often, like uh, Bobby Lashley versus Omos. Back then, though, that was probably the second time. First time in Hell in a Cell, the second time they did anything like that. And it was like a oh shit moment back then. Another oh shit moment, Cena versus Daniel Bryant. Back in 2013, where this SummerSlam match took place, Bryant's popularity was like going right through the roof. Why? I can't explain it. But he was paired up with John Cena for the WWE Championship in that main event. And the fans were desperate to see Brian and Cena's WWE title reign because it was so fucking long. It was just like everyone had enough Cena back then. Triple H was a special guest referee for this match. There were near falls and false finishes with Brian having a lot of offense in this bout. Despite Cena's elbow injury, he did put on a hell of a match. I didn't know about his elbow injury to afterwards, and he hit it very well. But Brian picked up one of the biggest wins in his career when he connected with that running lead knee to beat Cena for the WWE Championship. And that was very close to my favorite SummerSlam match of all time. But my favorite SummerSlam match of all time, which I still watch, was Randy Orton becoming the youngest world champion in WWE history back in 2004. I was all in for Orton back then. And 2004 belonged to him. And he kickstarted the year as the Intercontinental Championship champion. And he held that championship for a really long time. This, he was one of the longest reigning WWE Intercontinental Championships back, champions back then. But eventually he did drop the title to Edge and Vengeance, which I was there live. It was a hell of a match. I would not, even though I was all in for Orton, and it probably was, a lot of people thought I was homo for Orton back then. And it might be true back then. I can't picture myself going homo for Orton, but I was that in for Orton. He was young. He had the looks. He was winning all the time. He was, it reminded me when I, back then I was young. I was killing the bars attending scene. It reminded, I, Ray Orton reminded me of me. I'm sorry, but he did. But he never got the name that he does right now. The legacy of Orton didn't start until he beat Ben Wall for that world championship in a fair and clean match. The legend killer enters SummerSlam as a challenger, challenger, and despite his opponents being in Canada, being Canadian, and this was in Toronto, Canada, he did receive a pretty, a pretty good reception. And the match was brilliant. It was really art on the, in the square circle. It was just the flow was there. It was one of the one of my favorite matches of all time, and that ranks up to the Steamboat Flair uh, Shytown Rumble in '88. 
the match was brilliant. And an RKO from Warren was enough to make history as the youngest world champion, heavyweight champion of all time at the age of 24. Theory can win the championship. It would not matter because Theory has a lot of asterisks next to his name, next to his name as world champion. Warren, though, it was just a beautiful match, and that started Warren's career. You just got to look it up, watch it stuff, even if you only watched the last five minutes. But that was the beginning of the RKO out of nowhere. I'm just going to leave it at that. So, SummerSlam, I'll be watching it this year. Hopefully, it won't let me down like some SummerSlams have. It really is a coin toss. I am not looking at SummerSlam this year being an overall great event. I am going to be looking at some high points, some bright points. You never know. Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar might be a might be a bar burner. You don't know. Bianca Blair versus Becky Lynch might be much better than I said it's going to be. You don't know. Riddle, Matt Riddle versus Seth Rollins. And if Seth Rollins has a 25% win record this year, if you look it up, you'll see all the losses he's had. Uh, it's time for him to win a match at a major event. And this will definitely put Seth Rollins back on the radar. Forget about Matt Riddle, who will go gay for Randy Orton these days. And he says, I will fight for Orton. I will win for Orton. That's old. Hopefully Seth Rollins will make a comeback this SummerSlam. And next year, I'll be talking about that when I do my... Do some sort of SummerSlam video next year. Probably won't be the, the good, bad, and ugliest SummerSlam like this episode is. But, hey, I might be doing a, what makes SummerSlam tick. And that match might be the highlight of it. You never know. But that was the good, good bad, and ugliest SummerSlam. And whether people wanted to admit it or not, it's true. So people lie. Numbers and facts. And the truth does not. And a lot of fans, a lot of people agree with me, my points of SummerSlam this episode. The good and the bad points. And the ugly points. The ugly points is Mitch McMahon's in charge. He needs to go. But that's all I have for today, everyone. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for listening. Tune in next time to Killing the Business Worldwide. If you have any suggestions, look me up in the Facebook under Killing the Business Worldwide on this page and tell me what you like to see on this, on this episode, what you would not like to see this episode, and definitely fill out a comment card. But until next time, Vic Muscat signing off. Goodbye. Good night. And everyone, most definitely, take care of each other. Especially these days. Most of the world is fucking like in a heat wave right now. Looking at the side, it's close to 100 here in Southern Vermont. So stay cool. Be cool with everyone. And I'll see everyone next time. We're killing the business worldwide.
Goodbye and good night. Sweet.